What's going on, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of Clee Talk presented by FenleyRoadSports.com. I'm your host, Bob, talking my favorite Cleveland sports with my older brother, Chris. Chris, what's up, man? Not much, Bob. I actually got to watch some of the NFL playoff games this weekend. I I did not think I was going to be able to, but because of the ice storm that moved the Steelers and Chiefs into prime time, I was able to watch both games on uh, Sunday. I made an effort to watch them both because it wasn't worth to make an effort just to watch kind of like a half and a quarter of the Packers game. But uh, yeah, so long story short, thank you NFL for moving that game. (laughs) Well, I mean, not only did you... Were you able to watch two playoff games, but you're probably able to watch the two best playoff games so far in in, in this season? Easily. Easily the two best uh, so far. We'll, we'll get to all that in a bit, but but Sunday was finally – it finally felt like playoff football on Sunday. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, we'll definitely talk about that later in the podcast, but today um, we are going to, to try and focus on, on Cleveland – central topic um and provide some empathy for, for a couple teams out west um the san diego chargers are officially moving to los angeles they will be the la chargers next year um last off season the st louis rams relocated from st louis to los angeles as well and there are rumors that the oakland raiders are strongly uh pushing for relocation to las vegas so definitely some some relocation happening in, in the nfl and as all of our listeners can imagine and probably relate uh, as Cleveland Browns fans, um, you know, we, we dealt with the move as well and, and lost our, our hometown team um, when, when Cleveland uh, packed up and moved to Baltimore in the, in the late 90s. Um, so we, we, we thought we would open this podcast with, with some ideas on, on how to offer some advice to, to the, the uh, particularly San Diego and St. Louis and potentially the fans of, of the Oakland Raiders on how to cope with losing your football team. Um, maybe offer uh, some experiences that we had and, and see if there's any advice we can give. So Chris, I mean, what are, what are your thoughts just in general uh, on these relocation moves and the potential move for, for Oakland? Well, first and foremost, it, it stinks. Uh, it stinks to lose a team. It stinks to lose a team that you're a fan of. Um, you know, you can say outside looking in that, oh, the, the, the Rams weren't supported or, or the Chargers weren't supported, but I don't buy into that. I mean, they, they, they seem to have good enough fan bases. And either, either way, there's still hardcore fans in every city that, that are going to be hurt by this. I mean, you know, I'm sure people grew up watching Marshall Falk, the greatest show on turf. You know, go a generation back, you know, you got Dan Fouts, those Chargers that made the Super Bowl. And now, now we know they lost to San Francisco pretty badly in that Super Bowl. But but they still got to a Super Bowl. And so th- these these franchises have been in their respective locations for um, w- well over 10, 15 years. And uh, when, when you're there that long, you develop these strong relationships with a fan base, close ties to the fan base. You know, you heard Philip Rivers uh, talk about it last year, how he didn't particularly want to move. I think he was a guy who wanted to stay in one city his entire career. I mean, how is that going to affect him? I mean, that's a rarity nowadays. Um, you know, you can count on one hand the number of athletes who even have the potential to do that in the modern era, let alone, you know, without having to factor in relocation. So it, it, it's a it's not a good situation all around. And, you know, no disrespect to L.A. because from L.A.'s perspective, it's like, well, well why can't we have football uh, why does LA need two teams? You know, uh, it, it, it's bad enough that they took St. Louis's team, 
that actually was in L.A. before St. Louis. So it was kind of, okay, right. you can kind of understand that L.A. kind of got them back, kind of like Baltimore did to us after Indianapolis took Baltimore. Uh, but but there's that old saying, you know, an eye full of an eye leaves the whole world blind. At the, at the same at the end of the day, you know, St. Louis is now without a football team, and, and now on top of that, San Diego's without a football team. So the whole situation is terrible, especially you know from Cleveland's perspective. Our franchise was a true blue blooded hardcore fan base, and, and even we lost our team. I mean, you know, it would be like it would be like one rung down from like the Packers moving out of Green Bay or something like that. Uh, I think that would just be blasphemous. Um, so, yeah, I mean, overall, I hate it. I, I don't think L.A. deserves two teams. Um, I certainly feel terrible for San Diego fans. I, I think they should have stayed in, in San Diego. Yeah, I don't, I don't like it just because, I mean, you and I were born and raised in Cleveland. Um, I can't think of a city in America that's – as different from Cleveland as Los Angeles. I mean, it's beautiful, perfect weather, uh, 12 years round, never rains, never snows. It's a massive metropolis uh, that has huge amounts of industry and, and wealth pouring into it regularly. Obviously, it's a city that also has problems like any other city, but um, there, there's not a greater contrast from Cleveland to LA. And, you know, I don't like uh, those t- cities having success uh, on, on the sports world because, uh, you know, it's the one area where Cleveland can be equal with, with a city like L.A. So, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't like that L.A. overnight uh, has two NFL teams coming to them. Uh, it, it seems weird, and um, the cry for a, a, for a team to move to L.A. Uh, seems, uh, you know, seemed kind of superficial to me. Um the, the unfortunate thing, you know, my initial thought is that all these moves are based off of billionaire owners not happy with the write-offs that they are that they are not receiving in, in their current cities for, for new stadium upgrades or for a new stadium completely. I mean, St. Louis, uh, that stadium has yet to be paid off, but uh, they already wanted a new stadium. Uh, LA promised them a brand new stadium that they're building. It's a behemoth. Um, and so they turned tail and ran over there because they are getting better funding for that. Uh, Oakland, the Coliseum, you know, that thing is a dump. You, you and I went there. Uh, it, it wasn't as bad as people said, but you can. it's clearly not uh, the most aesthetically pleasing stadium uh, that we have been to <laughs> to see a game, to say the least. So, uh, you know, they want a new stadium. Las Vegas, obviously, is planning a huge football stadium should the Oakland Raiders move out there. Uh, same thing with the Chargers. You know, the, the, the Qualcomm Stadium needed an upgrade. Is it Gillette Field now? Is it Qual- It used to be Qualcomm. Okay. Uh, Qualcomm, you know, same battle going on over there. And so fans of all three of these teams are victims of very rich people not wanting to spend a little bit more money to out of their own pocket to upgrade these stadiums and i think that's the unfortunate part is that as always people like you and i are, are victim to uh you know politics and, and and rich people not uh you know trying to pinch dimes out of taxpayers and out of cities and, and holding these teams hostages so on one hand i do applaud a city like st louis or excuse me a city like san diego which was particularly combative against the owner of the Chargers and not giving in to building a new stadium. But, you know, they basically dared 
him to move to LA and and showed him the door and he, obviously he took it. Um, so that's that, that's my initial thought. Uh, you know, I, I feel bad for everybody that they are part of this game of saving money and saving revenues. Um, it, it's unfortunate for everybody, and then uh, on top of that, it's Los Angeles that's getting these teams, which I don't think is fair. Um, so obviously, you and I both don't like it. What? advice can we offer to, to these cities, to St. Louis, to San Diego, to, to replace the, the football-sized hole in, in their in their hearts? Well, well, first, I, I want to expand upon a couple points you made. I, I totally agree with the fact that both cities stood up and said, no, we're not going to pay for these behemoth stadiums that are only going to be used eight times a year. I mean, if you put a dome on it, maybe you get more use out of it. But um, I, I applaud them for that because I, I do think that there needs to be a pushback against professional sports. Um, you know, fan loyalty is a tricky thing. You know, you kind of get, get pointed the finger at if you talk blasphemous about your team. But at the same time, you know, look at the owners who take fan loyalty for granted and use it to just milk so much money out of us that, that we don't even think about our tax money going to this. You know, taxes is just something you kind of file away. And then you don't worry about it. But, 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 but that is money that we are paying for these stadiums and they use our fan loyalty to, to kind of gouge us for it. So, so it is wrong. And, and I, I applaud both San Diego and St. Louis for taking a stand against it, especially San Diego voting that measure down and kind of forcing the owner's hand. Um, another side note, LA now has eight sports teams, two in every single league. And the only two that didn't relocate there were the two hockey teams. That's kind of ridiculous. Yeah, that that is. Um, yeah, I don't I don't know why, why teams. I don't I don't know why LA does never has a, like an expansion team. They always seem to be the the place that teams want to move to. That that is really strange. That uh, only the hockey teams were originally from there. But but to answer your question, how to cope without sports? First and foremost, um, football isn't the only sport in town. Uh, St. Louis, I believe, is a true baseball town. Uh, they still have the Cardinals, one of the best organizations in all of baseball, a, a blue-blooded organization by all accounts. I, I think St. Louis is ultimately going to be fine because that just means more time for, for the Cardinals. And certainly I think that I don't think many – I think there are a lot of Rams fans. Most of them are also Cardinals fans too. So so I think that their number one love is baseball, and I, I certainly think that, that that's not going anywhere anytime soon. They also have the St. Louis Blues, but, but the Cardinals rule that town in my opinion. Um, if you still want football, um, the Kansas City Chiefs, still from the same state. Now, now me personally, when the Browns left, I couldn't bring myself to cheer for, for a uh, – what I perceived as a rival. Now, the Chiefs and the Rams didn't play in the same division. The Bengals and the Browns did, and the Bengals and the Steelers did, and I could not cheer for the Ravens. Sorry. So so I cheered for the New England Patriots. Um, if you want to know the story, it's because when I was little, uh, they were listed as New England in the standings, and New England wasn't listed in any other sport, and so I thought it was kind of cool to, to have a team that was had a different name. Um Obviously, New England and Boston synonymous, but but I just you know kind of kind of latched on to them. And Drew Bledsoe was a really good quarterback at the time. And then the two years into me cheering for them, they got to the Super Bowl, so I kind of got hooked very very quickly. Um, so that's what I did. I went outside of the division, found a team that wasn't a rival with the Browns. Belichick wasn't coaching them then; it was still Parcells. So uh, yeah, that that's what I did. You could always find another football team. 
But for for the St. Louis fans, it, it should be easy. Now, now the Chargers fans, you're down to the Padres. Um, I I don't think San Diego is a baseball town. So, uh, and, and we we talked about the Padres uh, a while back uh, in our uh, one of the three worst franchises in all of sports debate between the Browns and the Clippers. So, um, not not as not as great pickings for San Diego, but you are in San Diego. Uh, there is the beach. There is sun. There is perfect weather. There is a lot more to do than just sports. I know that doesn't come as much comfort for a sports fan because you still want your sports fix. Um, and yeah, so so San Diego's sports offering kind of took a much bigger hit than St. Louis's, in my opinion. And, and I do think the Chargers uh, fans are, are going to be a lot more torn as to who they're going to cheer for because I can't really see many of the true Chargers fans uh, cheering for what they will now brand as those teams up north, uh, to steal a phrase from Ohio State. Yeah, I, I can't imagine any of these teams, if you're a fan, uh, cheering for that team that has now deserted you. Um, I, I imagine there are some people that will, but the majority are, are going to kind of either softly or very loudly cheer against them for, for success. Uh, I think uh, we kind of saw... Uh, I saw a couple articles go by about St. Louis fans very adamantly cheering against the the LA Rams this year. Um, for for San Diego, I, I agree with you. I mean, it, it is much harder because your two closest teams are these relocated Los Angeles teams. Um, but you are in San Diego, <laughs> which is also a paradise, probably even more enjoyable than Los Angeles. Um, I mean, there's a lot to do there, and so I don't feel too bad for them. Uh, that that is a fantastic city. Um, obviously, if you're if you're a huge sports fan, um, that's really unfortunate because uh, your best team uh, has left, and you're stuck with the Padres, who you and I uh, trashed pretty heavily on our worst franchises in sports uh, podcast. Um, we're we're not too keen on on those San Diego Padres. Um, so I don't really know who. Uh, San Diego fans can turn to you to, to be their favorite team. Um, obviously, you turn to the New England Patriots and have remained a New England Patriots fan. Um, I, I don't I don't know if you remember. I'm sure you do, but I became a Steelers fan for a little bit. Um, I, oh, I remember. I was a, a, a big Jerome Bettis fan, uh, and I, you know, that was kind of his his peak right there, being the bus. Um, as soon as the Browns came back, uh, for, for anybody that's you know having a heart attack is listening that's listening to this, I um, devoured them and and went back to cheering for the Browns. Um, but I, I will say that you know for the Chargers, for the Rams, for the Raiders, you know, this is how rivalries get destroyed and get swept under the rug. I don't think the Brown Steelers rivalry really means anything in this day and age, and it's be partly due in part because of the move, not just that the team that came back is a warped cousin of what the Browns used to be and it has been terrible but you know in those off years uh Pittsburgh was the closest football town and a lot of people especially on the east side people living in Youngstown that uh are really close to Pittsburgh I mean they all gravitated towards the Steelers and and haven't really looked back and obviously the Browns haven't given them reason to look back but um that's the unfortunate side of it um, for for uh, St. Louis fans, uh, I, I agree with you. I mean, turning to the Chiefs uh, is obviously the closest al- alternative and is pretty parallel to the Browns turning to the Steelers because I can't imagine Kansas City and St. Louis really 
liking each other in terms of sports, even though they don't play in the same division and whatnot. I, I imagine there's a, a really strong hatred and rivalry between those two cities. But uh, if you want to go to a live football game and you're in the middle of the heartland, there there aren't a whole lot of options where you can turn to. It's not like Ohio where you have Detroit, Cincinnati, uh, and Pittsburgh all around us. Um, so, so, yeah, I mean, you just kind of have to ask yourself how much do you like football? Get rid of any preconceived notion of a rivalry that, that you had and just take the what often is the, the easiest option to watch more football. And for St. Louis, that's going to be Kansas City. For San Diego, maybe you'll cheer for the L.A. Rams instead of the, the L.A. Chargers. Um, obviously, for Cleveland, I think a lot of people went to Cincinnati or Pittsburgh. Uh, you went to New England for, for your own reasons, um, but you know you just have to you have to pick, and I think you you can't hold any grudges that you used to have because your team is gone. Uh, the other thing is Buffalo wasn't too far, and uh, Buffalo actually uh, I believe bust Cleveland fans up to some of their preseason games. Uh, tried to reach out in Olive Branch to them when the Browns lost their team. Uh, now, now I was little. Had I known some of this stuff, I, honestly, Buffalo would have made a lot of sense for me because because Buffalo and Cleveland are pretty much like similar cities when it comes to sports luck. Um, so, so, so that 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 was also an option too. But I agree with you. Yeah, we we had a lot of options within a two and a half hour radius of Cleveland. Four of them to be precise, or well, Cincinnati's maybe a little further, but. Yeah, and, and I also agree. This is the way rivalries get killed. I mean, you know, our generation, Bob, you're certainly not the only one who went to the Steelers. I mean, I remember being on the playground in elementary school. A lot of my friends switched to Pittsburgh. A lot. And, and you know, you are not the only one. There are a lot of uh, people in our generation who are Steelers fans because they didn't have a team growing up. And uh, Pittsburgh definitely uh, took over Youngstown after that as well. So, yeah, the Steelers definitely were big winners. And I, I also believe that the Browns-Steelers rivalry is now really the Steelers-Ravens rivalry because I think the rivalry kind of left with them too. And, and you look at Pittsburgh and Baltimore, the way they play, there's true hatred there. That is one of the best rivalries in the NFL. The Browns just haven't gotten there yet. And so, yeah, it, it's very unfortunate that, that the Browns lost all that tradition. Um, the other option for San Diego and St. Louis is to pick a team that you know is going to completely own the Chargers or the Rams for the foreseeable future, like Denver or Seattle or one of those teams that you know is probably going to dominate them and you can take pleasure in them struggling uh, as sort of revenge. I mean, that is always an option as well. Um, maybe a little more entertaining option, yeah, in my opinion. But just remember, it's cyclical. Things happen and, uh, you know, what, what might look good now might not look good five, ten years from now. So obviously you can, uh, you know, just say, hey, I'm going to cheer against these two teams and uh, – doesn't matter who they're playing so you could always enjoy football that way as well or you could just be a fantasy football guy cheer for your fantasy team right exactly or move to college football or i mean you could just be a mercenary too i i think that you know that's kind of what i have done uh in these years since i've lived away from cleveland and and if cleveland were good i would find a way to watch those games but i have been liberated from from being relegated to only watching them at one o'clock uh, Eastern Standard Time on Sundays, I can watch other games and, and be free of that. So, um, you know, there is some freedom for that. I think that's particularly true for, you know, the Rams who have been uh, steadily mediocre for, for the last 15 years or so. 
the Chargers, I mean, they had a bad year this year and the year past, but I mean, they're not that far removed from, from being a really fun competitive team. So that might hurt a little bit more, but you know, it, it is pretty easy to, to let go and just enjoy some NFL football for for a couple seasons. Um, I, I've, you know, uh, adapted my own favorites and teams that I hate uh, for no reasons because of my Cleveland allegiance. Um, you know, I, I just have enjoyed the game. So I think that's another quite viable option as well. Oh, yeah. And, and just the, the note on the Chargers, they were probably more competitive than their record being in a division with the Broncos, Chiefs and Raiders uh, probably didn't help them. Uh, very much but uh yeah I mean they, they certainly have had one of the most exciting quarterbacks in the league for the last 15 years in Philip Rivers and so um but but he's getting old I mean sooner or later he's going to step down so I imagine the Chargers are in for a rebuild sooner rather than later one of my personal favorite players Antonio Date Gates a Kent State graduate so I uh, kind of cheer for those Matt guys in the NFL uh, certainly good to see him uh, have the career he's had but but again he's probably closer to retirement than he is superstardom so uh uh, certainly a rebuild on the horizon for San Diego or now the it, it's weird enough saying the LA Rams now I gotta say the LA Chargers man this just uh it's it, it's unfortunate that it had to come to this I mean I I also just to wrap it up I guess I don't understand why the NFL thought having two teams in LA was better than having one team in LA and one team in San Diego or St. Louis to maximize their their footprint there um I guess that ultimately doesn't make much sense to me um, why why put two flags in one market when you can have one in one and one in another yeah i i don't i don't really know i i think it i it the unfortunate reality is that every decision in the nfl seems to be driven by stadiums and and who is willing to pay the most and build the biggest best stadium uh that's where the teams are going to be and, and they say that their game is popular enough and enough people have league pass where it doesn't matter that what market they're in it's america's sport now Sadly. Hey, hey, kind of a, a note on this. Uh, Brown's, uh, Art Mordell's son, David Modell, died at uh, 55 after a two-year battle with cancer. Um, obviously, a melancholy farewell to him. Um, I, I'm sure there's mixed emotions in Cleveland about this, but, but at the end of the day, you know, the man did die. Uh, certainly want to pay respects to that. He pushed to hire Brian Billick, who ultimately led the Ravens to a Super Bowl, and he helped pick out the team name and colors, which admittedly the Baltimore Ravens is a really cool name for that city, uh, the nod to Edgar Allan Poe. Yeah. Uh, so he certainly made his uh, mark on the NFL and the Ravens organization. Uh, certainly will be missed by most people. I'm sure a lot of Cleveland fans uh, still have ill will towards anyone named Modell, but, but at the end of the day... Uh, a melancholy farewell to him yeah for sure i i um i, I would hope that people aren't as uh ill intent on david modell as they were on art modell but uh obviously that last name uh brings up some emotions from a lot of people in in cleveland especially ones that live through the heart of that move um and and certainly uh, villainized the Modell family, but um, very, very sad that, that he passed away at, at a relatively young age too. Yeah, pretty young. 55 is, uh, it's that's not that old in this day and age, uh, you know. So, uh, yeah, obviously a, a younger, a, a earlier than expected uh, passing away. Well, moving to some Cleveland news. Uh, let's start with the Indians uh, reaching arbitration deals. They've signed seven of their eight arbitration eligible players. The only guy left uh, yet to sign is Brandon Geyer, and I don't imagine that he is going to 
uh, hold out that much longer, or even if he does go into arbitration, it's not going to be that expensive to sign him back. I mean, Chris, this is, uh, you know, not surprising news that they uh, avoided arbitration with, with most of their guys, but I mean, this is obviously a positive note for them. Uh, fun stat. Bauer and Sal- Salazar's contract means the Indians' five-man starting rotation will make about $23.6 million this year. There are seven major league pitchers who earn more than Cleveland's entire staff. That is from Paul Hoynes of the Plain Dealer. So, yeah, that's pretty insane. Uh, but, yeah, this is great news to bring back uh, you know, Cody Allen, Brian Shaw, Lonnie Chisenhall, Trevor Bauer, Danny Salazar, Zach McAllister, and Dan Otero, all the guys who agreed to arbitration deals, according to the Plain Dealer. And, uh, you know, like you said, Brandon Geyer, I would imagine that will get done soon. The Indians have a strong history of avoiding arbitration and getting deals done in advance of the hearing. So I don't think it should take too much longer to hear some news on Brandon Geyer as well. Great news. I mean, you got a bunch of great guys all on value contracts surrounded by a, a strong core. Uh, I mean, Bob, every time we talk about the Indians, I just uh, a smile comes to my face because, um, you know, it should be a very exciting season for them. Yeah, I have very high expectations. This is just another step towards uh, what I expect to be a, a really fun, exciting season for them. So I, I'm glad they got it done. Um, I, I don't really see any reason why Brandon Geyer is going to hold out. I think I, I read that uh, he's projected to make probably earn $2 million in arbitration. So I, I don't, I can't imagine that um, those sides aren't going to come to terms with it, but this is great news for them. Yeah. I mean, I, I, like I said, I'm just counting the days till opening day pitchers and catchers reporting in about a month. Uh, it's, it's a good time to be a tribe fan. Let's just say that. And, and hopefully it's the, hopefully this isn't a tease and there's like a hangover or something like that. I don't think there will be. I, I really think this team broke out for real last year and it is going to be a significant player in 2017. Um, but expectations are a funny thing. You know, last year they didn't have any. They played loose. We'll see. It, it should certainly be interesting, but but I, I just can't wait for the season to start. Yeah, I, I think baseball season is too long for there to be hangovers or whatnot. Uh, the, and they're guided by one of the best managers, too. I, I don't see any reason for them to, to fall short of expectations or, or to disappoint unless, you know, injuries start piling up. So I, I'm really excited for them. Um, all right, we'll move on to uh, Ohio State basketball. We talked a little bit about them last week, and we were getting a little concerned for Thad Mata starting off Big Ten play 0-4. Uh, they did beat Michigan State. Uh, they hosted them uh, over the weekend, um, beating them 72-67. to I mean, Chris, we were, we were talking last week that it might be time to start looking for a new head coach for Ohio State basketball. Uh, did that win against Michigan State salvage anything? Uh, I, I don't know because, I mean, they started 0-4 in the Big Ten, and, and and this is not like the first season the Buckeyes have struggled under Thad Mata. I, I think it's safe to say that ever since Aaron Kraft has graduated, the Buckeyes basketball program has steadily moved in the wrong direction. So I, I don't think this is enough. I, I do think that, that Thad Mata should be worrying about his job because the 0-4 start is the worst since 97-98. Uh, the Michigan State win is good, but at the same time, I mean, they, they, the Buckeyes absolutely start have to start turning the, turning the corner here because it, it wasn't that long ago that this program was a perennial contender in the NCAA tournament, 
And now, I mean, they're just struggling to advance in the Big Ten tournament, it looks like. So uh, the, the, it, I, I would certainly be worried if I'm Thad Mata. Yeah, I, I, I would be too. Um, you know, Michigan State, obviously, anytime you beat Michigan State, that's that's good. Um, but Michigan State is having a on on record a, a very parallel year to, to Ohio State. Um, it, it seems to be not the best year for the Big Ten in terms of basketball. I'm only seeing um, Wisconsin and, and Maryland and Purdue uh, on various basketball rankings, and they're they're all relatively low on on that chart. Um, obviously, things will play out, and, and that, that might change, but. Um, it seems to be a down year, so that might be a reason for a pass for Thamana. But like you said, this isn't just one season that we've kind of been slowly declining for for the last few years. Um, I, I think he needs to pull off more wins than just uh, you know one in five start uh, in Big Ten play. That isn't good enough. No, certainly not. And and like I said, we talked about it last week. I think the one and done, the expansion of recruiting those guys from programs like Duke, Carolina, who didn't traditionally do that, has hurt that Mata because he used to rely heavily on a lot of those guys. I know some of them ended up being two and dones, but but he certainly had a lot of one and dones come through that program. Yeah, for sure. Well, keeping it uh, at Ohio State real quick, Jalen Harris, the number one wide receiver in Ohio, uh, played his high school ball at Cleveland Heights, uh, is the newest commit to a stellar Ohio State football recruiting class. Uh, Chris, I heard that you had a chance to see him play. Uh, what, what's your scouting report on him? I did. It was a week 10 against Lorraine High. That game decided the Lake Erie League. Lorraine won. It was a very good game. He was held to one catch for 20 yard, 12 yards. So, and, and it came late in the game. Uh, so Lorraine did a very good job defensively. He's a big guy. Um, so my, my impression of him, seeing him just one game, mind you, I mean, this is obviously not an entire career. Uh, but he certainly uh, did did not look great in that game. Now I'm not going to sit here and just you know hold that against him because it was probably just one bad game. Lorraine was a very good team. They got to the Elite Eight in Division One, so certainly uh, nothing to be ashamed of there. But but in the game I saw him play, uh, they definitely held him uh, in check. So some very good defense on uh, Jalen Harris. But I mean, this is definitely a good get for Ohio State. Uh, like I said, he was a big guy, fast and certainly could help a receiving core that struggled last year. Now, I don't think he'll play instantly uh, because, I mean, it's very hard to play as a true freshman at any big-time program, but I think uh, certainly this is something that that will uh, bode well for the Buckeyes as they try to uh, improve their passing game that has struggled the the last year or two. Yeah, it's another stellar recruit uh, on on a massive resume of – stellar recruits uh for, for this class for ohio state uh heading into national signing day it looks like we're in a three horse race between alabama osu and georgia for that number one recruiting class um in, in terms of the wide receiving core you know jalen harris six five two ten like you said they also have trevin grimes uh from florida who's six three and, and 202 so that's two uh really sought after wide receivers that are big and and, and strong uh coming into coming out of high school and going straight to osu so um i don't think either of them will, will be starting uh as true freshmen next year just because ohio state is so so deep and, and whatnot but um certainly looks like they're trying to build a, a very pro style passing attack and, and have two big body wide receivers coming in which is good because that is uh, certainly a point of uh something they've struggled with especially last year uh throwing the ball downfield so uh hey i mean you know 
anytime you can bring talent in your program, it's a good thing. And, and you see 6'5 on a wide receiver. Like I said, I mean, the guy certainly jumped out at me when I saw him play. I just think Lorraine did a very good job defensively on him. Uh, he's certainly a very physical uh, uh, prospect. I mean, you know, when when you see him on the field, it, it's clear that that he's a, a very talented individual. Uh, I, I just I, I'm just going to chalk that up to a bad game and good defense against a quality opponent. Sure, sure, very true. All right. Well, we uh, certainly there is a big basketball game for for the Cavs against the Warriors there in Oakland. Uh, you know, rematch of Christmas Day. We will recap that game next week. Uh, we don't want to make any predictions or whatnot, but um, sticking with the Cavs, uh, Fox Sports Ohio is reporting that uh, ratings uh, for Cavs games broadcasted there are down 27% uh, as of January. Um, Chris, any reason for explanation for that? A couple things. Uh, some of the bigger games were not played on Fox Sports Ohio, so that certainly didn't help. Like, for instance, the Cavs Warriors was played on ABC, um, so they didn't get credit for all those games that uh, – are kind of marquee matchups and so when you're a big uh big team like that you get a lot of games poached from the local affiliate so so i i don't know how those numbers compared to last year how many games were taken um but but i also think that that it's not too surprising to see that people aren't tuning in as much during the regular season because i think that this is a common problem basketball has i mean i think basketball suffers from too much of everything and I know personally, I don't make it a priority to watch every basketball game. It's just not my thing. And when you have a team like Cleveland that is broadcasting loud and clear, their regular season doesn't matter. They rest guys. They take games off to keep guys fresh for the playoffs. Um, I think that fan interest will be like, well, why shouldn't we care until the playoffs either if you guys are broadcasting this message? So I don't think it's anything Fox Sports Ohio is doing. I think it's just the realities of cheering for a contending team. Uh, when you pace yourself for the playoff, your fan base will do the same. Yeah, I mean, I mean, just looking at uh, the the TV schedule for, for the Cavs starting tonight against the Warriors at TNT, um, then Thursday against the Suns FS Ohio, uh, next game against the Spurs that's ABC then you have three games uh Fox Sports Ohio then against the Thunder that's ABC uh two games FSN Ohio and then you have a game against the Knicks that's on ABC so uh, your point is, is exactly right anytime the Cavs are against a big market team or against a really talented team that's not going to be on Fox Sports Ohio it's it's going to be on national television and obviously those are the games that everybody wants to watch including Cleveland fans um it's hard to, to keep up with a 82 game season that that goes um p- plays uh you know so long and, and you know all those games are at seven o'clock uh, people aren't going to watch all of them uh, especially if all the marquee games are going to be on national television uh, those are advertised those are hyped up more uh, cleveland fans are, are going to watch those more than they're going to watch the games on fox sports ohio i don't think it's a concerning thing i just think it's the unfortunate part of having uh one of the two most exciting teams in all of basketball it's a good thing no it's certainly a good thing uh might not be a good thing for fox sports ohio but but i also think that they they are still i'm sure people are still tuning in i just think it has to do with how the national schedule lines up but again i'd have to look closer at what games were nationally televised to this point last year though i don't think they play a game against the knicks that isn't on tnt or abc uh, I think they're they've all been on national television, and that that certainly doesn't help when you have 
all your big market games going to national television. So, well, uh, we did jinx uh, the Blue Jackets a couple of weeks ago. Uh, they they did lose the end up losing that win streak. We talked about that last week. Uh, since then, uh, they, they've they've gone one and two in the past week. Um, we we talked a little bit during the win streak that. Uh, the Blue Jackets, despite that historic run uh, of of having the second longest win streak in NHL history, uh, they didn't have a commanding lead of their division. The Capitals are are right behind them for the lead. Um, you know, any any concern for for the Blue Jackets? Uh, not only losing out on that win streak but now potentially losing out on, on, on command of the division well yeah i mean they, they've actually lost it by a point now the capitals have 63 points and they are on a nine game winning streak you look at their last 10 they're 9 0 and 1 so it's been a while since the capitals have lost uh the blue jackets still an impressive 62 points right there at number two in the division they have at least put some distance between the penguins and the rangers who were nipping at their heels five points between them but you look at the Penguins and the Rangers, I mean, they're at 57 points. That's four of the five best teams in your division. The Montreal Canadiens, the uh, third best team in the uh, Eastern Conference. So a very tough metropolitan division this year. Uh, quite competitive. But you know what? If the Blue Jackets make the playoffs, that that's just great. Because at, at the end of the day, I mean, this team has been so down for so long if they could get to the playoffs with the top two or three seed, that that would just be, to me, a huge success for a team that's uh, uh, trying to take a big step forward this year. Yeah, for sure. I think everybody would be happy if they just made the playoffs. But usually if you rattle off a streak like that, you are miles ahead of the competition. And that's definitely not the case uh, for the Capitals. Obviously, with only two divisions, but a lot of playoff berths available, um, winning the division isn't... Uh, as highly valued in, in hockey as it is for, for, for other sports. But um, if you finish in that top three, you're, you're guaranteed a berth. And then uh, then uh, you have two wild card spots that are available to both division uh, members. So uh, you want to stay in that top three. I, I thought that they would have a much more commanding lead division, but um, I, I think everybody would just be happy if they make the playoffs. Yeah, I mean, they are 12 points up on that second wild card you alluded to. Or, excuse me, um, not 12. Uh, looks like 11 points up because the Bruins – wait, no, the Bruins would be a division. Sorry. The NHL does have the community. three from each division, then two wild cards. So they are 12 points up on the Flyers for that second wild card. So they are looking very good just to get to the playoffs, even if they were to take a little hit in the standings. But they're right there with them. I mean, the Capitals only have a one-point lead. Capitals aren't going to win forever either. Uh, I think it's going to be a very fun race to keep an eye on uh, as the season develops. It's, it's certainly been exciting for Columbus to see uh, their hockey team just uh, rebound. And you know what? They're, they're starting to convince me. I, I, I don't have a hockey team. I want Columbus to be my team because Columbus shows Cleveland a lot of support. So that's kind of my logic. I would love to see the Blue Jackets uh, uh, do well in the playoffs this year. Yeah, I'll, I'll cheer for them. Um, I have a saying, uh, especially here in, in Nashville, like I uh, cheer for too many bad teams already to cheer for another bad team, and that's when I talk about the Titans, even though they went eight and eight, whatever. Um, but I say that for the for the Blue Blue Jackets too. I'm not gonna get into a, a losing season for the Blue Jackets, but if they're good, I will certainly wish them well and and try and tune in and, and cheer them on for sure. And I have to bring this next one up, going back to basketball. College of Worcester men's basketball coach Steve Moore. 
earned his 187th win, which puts him number two all-time in Division Three. Worcester right in our own backyard in my alma mater. Steve Moore is a class act, one of the best coaches I've ever covered. He was actually one of the first coaches I've ever covered because I covered their team for four years while I was down there. Uh, super cool guy. Uh, one of the, the better stories I have about Coach Moore is uh, one of my writers uh, one year when I was uh, editor was covering a baseball game. And uh, he had, uh, he was also doing it for the radio, so he had a lot of radio equipment. He was lugging, he had this big old box, and Coach Moore sees him and offers him a ride back to the radio station uh, because he knew uh, this writer from, you know, covering basketball games. So it's just, it, he's, just, he's a really cool guy. I actually ran into him while covering a high school game a few years ago. He remembered me, and I've been out of Worcester for going on 10 years now and so I mean you know he, he's, he's a, a one of the classiest acts in all the sports big congratulations to him getting that major milestone uh for the fighting scots yeah for sure that that's really cool I remember you uh being a pretty big fan of Worcester basketball I had a chance to to watch a game with you down there uh uh, I, I know I know you really enjoyed it so that's really cool that he uh is has been so successful for such a long time all right, Bob, I was unable to watch this national championship game moving into some more uh, sports news around the nation, but Alabama-Clemson, man, Clemson ripped Alabama's hearts out. I saw the highlights. I saw the play. Man, what a game, and honestly, it brings me great joy to see Alabama lose it like that. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I, uh, you know, I picked Alabama to win. Uh, that's really the only horse I had in that race I don't really care either way um Alabama's had a ton of success so I don't I'm not sad that Alabama uh lost that game uh I don't particularly like Dabo Swinney so I'm not really happy that he uh won a national championship but you know I can't obviously the one of those dudes were going to win another national title on that game on that night um it was a fun game to watch for sure I watched it from start to finish um I thought Alabama had it in the bag but Clemson just kept hanging around and making big play after big play. I thought Deshaun Watson was going to die on the field. Uh, some of the hits that he took. Um, I don't know if you saw the basically the helicopter hit uh, where he tried to hurdle, but uh, got annihilated by two Alabama linebackers and like did uh, I think 520 degrees in midair and then landed awkwardly on his knee. I thought he was not going to get up from that, but he got up and he won a national title game. Uh, it was fantastic, and I'd say is even better than than last year's national title game, which was uh, another fantastic game. The only the only criticism I am gonna have is I don't know if I'm sure you watched the game winning touchdown. Uh, that is the same play that they ran, I think, uh, for their second touchdown as well. I, I don't understand why that's not offensive pass interference. Uh, I'm not mad. I'm not bitter. Uh, I don't care. As I said. But I, 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 I've watched that play a couple of times and clearly one wide receiver tackles a cornerback and, and runs a pick. And I don't understand why that never gets called. But, hey, if you're not going to call it, uh, and, and obviously clearly they weren't going to call it that game because they ran that play before, uh, you got to beat it. Um, but that, that's the only criticism I have. Uh, but it was a fun game to watch for sure. Yeah, no, the the pick plays in the NFL and college are, are certainly something that needs to be focused on because you're right, they are very inconsistently officiated. Um, I mean, yeah, it, it, like this game was 
on par with Texas, USC, and Ohio State, Miami as far as epicness. Um, it reminds reminded me of Vince Young rallying Texas back and scoring in the last second. I think that that's a good comp for this game. Um, you know, the Ohio State, Miami. I think the defense made the big stand. Uh, you know, with with Miami knocking on the door on the goal line. Uh, so uh, certainly right up there with those three. And uh, yeah, I mean, it was just an epic game and a huge. Uh, performance from Deshaun Watson but you're right I mean those pick plays certainly give the offense an even extra advantage and it's not like the rules aren't slanted for the offense enough as it is Uh, so so I definitely think that at both levels of football the NFL and college these picks have to be looked at a little closer uh, because you see it all the time these the 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 wide receivers getting away with stuff like that yeah it seems impossible to to guard against uh i mean if you stack two guys to the right then you leave a guy wide open on the, i don't know uh, I'm, I'm not i don't i don't think it it uh tarnishes the game at all uh and i i haven't read a whole lot where people are complaining about it but i watched i, I watched that game winning play live and then they kept showing the highlight and you know it was a great play and and certainly exciting but all i could see was the the wide receiver just clearly running into the defender and not giving him a chance to to occupy his own space. So um, I, I don't want that to be the, the, the last thought I have uh, on that game. I think it was fantastic. And obviously uh, Deshaun Watson had a fantastic game and, and Alabama seemed to be unbeatable and he was able to, to topple them in, in dramatic fashion. I think that was great. I'm just happy Alabama lost. I'm, I'm not a big Alabama fan, as you can see. I don't think many people up here are big Alabama or SEC fans either. So yeehaw. Um, all right, Bob. So, so I went two and two last week, and I'm kicking myself because because two weeks ago I warned you that Atlanta was gonna be better than advertised if they played Seattle, but I but I switched and actually picked Seattle because I drank the Kool Aid a bit. So that one irks me. Uh, I obviously lost the Chiefs as well. I think you went three and one, I believe, because you picked uh, the Steelers. Exactly. Yeah. yeah my only loss uh, being being Seattle. Um, yeah, I, I thought it was a, a fantastic week of, of football. Um, the Saturday games uh, weren't that enjoyable, but it definitely made up for it for what we saw on Sunday. Um, Aaron Rodgers uh, was that was probably the most fun <laughs> to watch uh, a quarterback play. I mean, some of the throws he ha- he had and that last throw, uh, which I think is one of the best throws I've ever seen uh in in a football game and a catch as well Jared Cook a tight end making that catch I mean that was mind-boggling and then we had a really great defensive game Sunday night Pittsburgh against it's Kansas City I thought that was really fun Le'Veon Bell put on the clinic on how, how to run uh and, and play uh classic AFC North football um I, I thought they were both really fantastic to watch yeah, Le'Veon Bell is one is the most patient running back in all of football. Aaron Rodgers is the most exciting player in all of football. You know, that throw and catch was phenomenal. The throw was unbelievable. The catch was unbelievable. But let's give some credit. The, that offensive line, Green Bay's offensive line, is the best pass-protecting unit in the NFL. You know, Aaron Rodgers is mobile. He creates some time. But they give him a lot of time, too. There are times where he's spending five seconds in the pocket before he rolls out. That that line is fantastic in pass protection. That that play was fantastic. It, it was just it was just a great game. Uh, the Kansas City Pittsburgh game, man, 
I was getting frustrated early because there were a lot of pass interference calls that just weren't being called. And then it became clear that they were just going to do it both ways. I mean, you know, you, you can complain about the officials, but they, they let a lot go, and, and that's fine. Um, but, man, Kansas City just obliterated itself in the foot. They didn't just shoot it, their foot off. They obliterated it. I mean, drop passes left and right. A terrible 15-yard penalty from Travis Kelsey that they did overcome. And then in the two-point conversion, you commit holding. I mean, my goodness, man, how many th- times can Kansas City just shoot themselves in the foot? Um, honestly, I mean, you know, you take some of those miscues away, and, and I'm not trying to tarnish the Steelers' victory, but I think Kansas City, they held them to six field goals, and Pittsburgh gets to the red zone with ease, but then they hold them to six field goals, and, and they couldn't overcome it uh, because of all those miscues. Um, so, so certainly the defense bent but didn't break the offense, man, just shot itself in the foot over and over and over again, and uh, uh, really led to um, to to a disappointment for Kansas City. A great game for an NFL fan, but if you're a Kansas City, uh, you're certainly leaving with a sour taste in your mouth because that game was there to be had. Uh, certainly, certainly was uh, Kansas City. I think a lot of players on that team are, are not feeling great today, and uh, can shoulder a lot of that blame. Um, the same could be said with the with the Steelers uh you know they six field goals and an interception uh, in the red zone uh obviously if you score one of those convert one of those into a touchdown this is uh basically a, an easy game for them so I, there were a lot of points left on the field a lot of plays left on the field on both sides I thought I thought it evened out uh pretty well um you know Pittsburgh did get called for that uh, targeting call uh, excuse me not targeting that's college rules but that uh, hitting a defenseless receiver uh, late in the game that that led to a touchdown the the game uh, what could have been the game tying touchdown and then that holding call negating that two-point conversion so I, I do think it was equally reft I think both sides would have some gripes if they were the losing team obviously we're talking about Kansas City uh, and, and their gripes and, and their miscues oh no, no I think the officiating was equal I just think you know, don't commit offensive holding on the two-point conversion. I'm blaming the Chiefs uh, there. Yeah. And, and the drops were terrible, too. Kelsey had one that could have been a touchdown. Macklin had one that could have been a touchdown. Uh, there were some bad drops as well. So so I, I don't have a problem with the officiating. It was equal on both sides. There were The Kansas City defense was committing pass interference, too, and they were getting away with stuff. So it was equal. Um, but it's just, you know, you commit offensive holding when you convert the two. Come on, man. I mean, you know. Don't make a penalty. And and, and Kelsey just shoving yeah. that guy down was, was terrible too. But I guess looking forward here, Bob, I did a little research. And my Super Bowl pick in the preseason is still intact. Uh, and you have one half of your Super Bowl pick still intact. Wouldn't that be cool if the Cardinals were facing the uh, Packers and both of our Super Bowl picks were going head-to-head? That would be kind of cool. That would be, yeah. I uh, feel really bad about that Cardinals pick. But I do have the Steelers. My pony is still in the race, so... Uh, there's potential there um we yeah i i think i think it's gonna be some some interesting uh championship games uh pittsburgh new england that's uh, a classic battle uh that i think will be really fun um you know going into cold foxborough uh, for an afc championship game seems like a rite of passage for any team trying to win the super bowl uh out of the afc and then you know newcomers atlanta you know we've been kind of waiting for them to to seize on this potential and rally from from their down years and, and they have a really fantastic explosive offense and obviously we have Aaron Rodgers who can seems to be able to do anything with that football I, I think it's going to be two really good good matchups uh, do you have a pick 
Uh, yeah, well, I'm, I'm sticking with my picks. I'm going to go with the Patriots and the Packers. Um, I am more confident in the Patriots than the Packers for a couple reasons. One, games in Foxborough. Two, the Steelers were good, but I think their defense is vulnerable in the secondary. Alex Smith, while his numbers didn't indicate it, they did have a lot of success getting big plays downfield. That's Tom Brady's specialty. And um, I do think Malcolm Butler is as good of kryptonite as any against Antonio Brown. I think of all the corners in the league, for whatever reason, he matches up very well with Antonio Brown. Has, has had some success against him. So I do think the Patriots' defense will step up and limit this Steelers' offense that, that really didn't look great against Kansas City. I, I understand that they put up a lot of yards, but but when they needed the score, they settled for six field goals. And, and if you bring six field goals into New England, you're going to lose by a lot. Now, I'm not saying they're not going to score a touchdown, but what I am saying is I, I do think they're vulnerable more importantly, I just don't think the Pittsburgh defense is up to par. Brady has shredded tougher Steelers defenses in the playoffs before, and Brady kind of owns Pittsburgh in the playoffs. I think the Patriots will win that game, and I don't think it'll be as close as people think. I am more concerned about the Packers. I think that game is going to be epic. If you like high-flying football, I anticipate it to be high-scoring in the Dome. Green Bay secondary is down to like its fourth-string corner. Atlanta's defense is is okay. So I think that these quarterbacks are just going to shoot it out and whoever has the ball last is going to win. So I I think it'll be a a typical dome game versus your typical AFC North game. But I think the Patriots will advance. And because I picked the Packers in the preseason and because I boldly said in the wild card round that the Packers-Giants winner was going to the Super Bowl, I'm not getting off now, but I am less confident about that pick than I am New England. Yeah, I I think the NFC, uh, this NFC championship game and basically all of the NFC playoff games have been more intriguing than their AFC counterparts. Um, and we've been saying that for two weeks now. I, I'm going with Green Bay. I, I, I like that pick. I just think Aaron Rodgers is in a zone and ha- is can do anything. And, and, and you know, I, I do agree with you. That's going to be a high-scoring game. I think Atlanta is going to uh, score against Green Bay at ease, but um, Aaron Rodgers is just going to keep throwing and, until the clock hits zero. And I think they're going to pull out another win in a dome, which I think benefits Aaron Rodgers more than playing at Lambeau for, for whatever reason. Well, obviously, because it's better weather, but I think he's playing fantastic right now and will be able to win that game. On the flip side, AFC, uh, I think it's going to be closer than you think uh, for, for one reason. Um, yes, this Steelers defense does have its deficiencies. Uh, the defensive line, the secondary uh, is young, but that linebacker core is fast, talented, diverse, and, and deep. And I think that uh, if there's one way to beat Tom Brady is to get pressure on on Tom Brady. And I think that the Steelers might be able to do that. I also think that the Kansas City Chiefs uh, in Kansas City, that defense uh, is fantastic and is probably better than the New England defense. I think Steelers will be able to maybe capitalize on scoring a little bit more, move the ball a little bit easier. Uh, I think it'll be closer. Obviously, I picked the Steelers to, to uh, go to the Super Bowl. Uh, in the preseason, so I have to stick with my pick. I think it's going to be a lot closer than 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 you think. Uh, I, I think both of these games are going to be decided by three or four points. Two of the best kept secrets in football: Patriots defense and Malcolm Butler. Do not sleep on them. I think in Foxborough, they will take care of business. Um, it could be a little bit of Patriots fan in me talking, but we'll see. Um, 
Alrighty, switching gears, Bob. One of my favorite sports, tennis, starting uh, with just a few quick hits here. Simona Help already out. The women's number four seed was upset in the first round last night. Number one, Andy Murray. Uh, and Serena Williams lost the number one spot to Angelique Kerber. Uh, so so both Djokovic and Williams are number two going into the year. Andy Murray got a brutal draw. <laughs> um, someone was going to get unlucky because Roger Federer's injury dropped him all the way to number 17, uh, meaning he was going to be in someone's top-seeded uh, round of 32 draw. That someone is, I believe, uh, uh, Thomas Burdek, who would then face Kini Shikori, who would then face whoever comes out from that trio faces Andy Murray in the quarterfinals. Uh, so talk about a tough quarter for Andy Murray. Uh, as the number one seed, he probably got easily the toughest quadrant of the bracket, just the way the draw works sometimes. And uh, Madison Keys, the youngest American star, a very promising young American uh, on the women's side. She finished 2016 at number eight. She will not play recovering from wrist surgery. And Maria Sharapova, I believe this is the last tournament she will miss before she is back from her suspension uh, for that performance enhancer last year. So a uh, lot to watch down under. Yeah, for sure. Uh, who, who are your picks on, on each side to, to win it? I'm going to go Djokovic. Australian Open is his strongest tournament. I think he needs to rebound from what was a tough finish by his standards uh, last year. So uh, I think Djokovic will win on the women's side. Honestly, I have no idea. <laughs> I really don't know. Uh, I, I'm i going to go Kerber. She got the number one ranking, and so maybe she'll she'll capitalize on, uh, on what was a t- strong 2016 for her. Yeah, I mean, I, I obviously don't follow Thomas as much as you, so I will probably always default to Djokovic and Serena Williams. <laughs> nice. When in doubt, pick the favorites. Hey, I mean, it, sometimes it works. Um, but, but like I said, on the women's side, I, I think the draw, it, it's exciting because I, I really think anyone can win it, so it'll be fun. Um, yeah, but, yeah, certainly. man, we, we jam-packed a ton in this podcast. Obviously, next week we will see if I will finally get the Super Bowl. I have been picking for the last, like, five years Packers, Patriots, Rodgers, Brady. I've wanted to see them go head-to-head forever. Almost had it two years ago. Be very fun. Uh, But please, subscribe to our podcast through iTunes. Just search Fenley Road Sports, click Clee Talk, or you can go to FenleyRoadSports.com and click the icon we set for you in the right-hand corner. It's really easy. Just click it and subscribe. We're all about customer service here. Uh, but come back every week for another episode of Clee Talk presented by Fenley Road Sports. You can follow us on Twitter or Instagram. Just search Fenley Road Sports. Hit follow, and you'll get updates from us and, and when the new podcasts are out and all that fun stuff. But thank you for your support. We'll be back next week to talk Cavs, Warriors, more sports. Obviously, more stuff will be going on. And, of course, we will finally have our Super Bowl matchup set. But until then, go Cavs, beat the Warriors again. All right, I'll see you, Chris. Go Cavs. Take it easy, Bob.